I think it was 13 years old, I remember sitting with him and having my first rum and coke at lunch. And as a little guy, I thought, oh, it's just, this is my dad, you know, how cool I get to be a big man and have a drink with my dad. And his older siblings would introduce me to marijuana and different drugs, and they took pleasure in um, having one of their friend's girlfriends help me lose my virginity at 13 years old. And, you know, I just, that those were my, my mentors and the folks I looked up to. So I thought that's, you know, that I was really, really living and getting ahead of the game. And that really led to a, a derailed life later, especially when I got to Hollywood and all that basic training of womanizing and, and partying led to uh, much more serious things. You're listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast, providing help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through pain. Here's our host, Colleen Swindoll Thompson. Hi, this is Colleen Swindoll Thompson, director of Reframing Ministries at Insight for Living, and also the host of this podcast, Reframing Ministries, where we are here to give you hope and help for whatever you're going through. I am so excited for you to hear from my guest today because he has had it all. He has been in Hollywood, all the money, all the toys, all the things that you could have, lost it all, and has come back with a faith that is so strong. This is going to speak hope into your life. So Brad Alden, thank you for being with me today. Oh, it's our my pleasure. Hi, Colleen. Hi. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your background and how you got into music. Well, I always had a passion for music ever since I was probably 13 years old. I had an older brother who was into acoustic artists like uh, Neil Young and and... He was kind of a 70s child, an older half-brother, mm -hmm. and uh, he used to teach me chords and things like that. And then all through high school, I got into bands and just played every high school dances and parties and things like that. And that led to moving to the Chicago tri-state area and touring straight out of high school for almost three years. And then I decided to go to Hollywood and, and uh, attend Musicians Institute, which was, if you're not familiar with that, it's a... Uh, it's kind of a vocational school. Um, they have a vocal college, they have a bass college, they have a drum college, they have a, a guitar college, they have an audio engineering college. And what they do that's really neat is they bring all the arts together to also get performance credits. So that was a really neat experience. And I stayed in Hollywood after that and kind of tried to pursue a dream that was in my heart, but I, I didn't know much about the business side of it. Right. Now, what we didn't talk about yet is your younger years were very, very traumatic. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that and how music, was it an escape for you? I would say yes. The My father was a uh, really hardworking and charismatic guy, but he was a pretty active alcoholic and chain smoker. And um, I grew up in between two families. So my dad had been divorced and and my mom had been divorced and they married each other actually in a in an affair I found out later um, so I grew up in between two families of older siblings and kind of the middle of all that and they weren't too friendly with each other and hmm. um, in that generation my, my father I think it was 13 years old I remember sitting with him 
and having my first rum and coke at lunch. And as a little guy, I thought, oh, it's just, this is my dad. You know, how cool I get to be a big man and have a drink with my dad. And his older siblings would introduce me to marijuana and different drugs. And they took pleasure in um, having one of their friend's girlfriends help me lose my virginity at 13 years old. And, you know, I just, that those were my, my mentors and the folks I looked up to. So I thought that's, you know, that I was really really living and getting ahead of the game. And that really led to a, a derailed life later, especially when I got to Hollywood and all that basic training of womanizing and, and partying led to uh, much more serious things. Well, it's so interesting because we can look at you now and think, oh, he's had this great upbringing and mentors and people in his life that that helped him grow up. But we're hearing someone who was introduced to sex, drugs, alcohol, anything and everything at your will. Um, and that could have, I mean, you had a fork in the road at some point, but you were married to a Playboy playmate. You guys had two kids. You were in Hollywood. I mean, you had everything. And then what happened? Yeah, by, by the world standards, I, it seemed like I had everything, but yet uh, the truth is I was lost. At some point in that journey, I was addicted to methamphetamine. Um, I basically got that, that person you described pregnant, and the reason I got married is it felt like the right thing to do. And uh, a previous girlfriend had gotten an abortion, and, and I had nothing to say about that, and it felt... I struggled with that. So when when this girl became pregnant, I said, "Well, I need to I need to kind of man up and do the right thing." Um, but the marriage was very turbulent, very difficult um, because we really didn't have uh, we we certainly didn't have God at the center. I didn't even understand what that me meant at the time. I I was raised Catholic, and I was never against God. I, I went to church maybe twice a year for Easter and Christmas, and it always felt boring, and I never really felt a sense of community, um, pre-scripted. I, I have nothing against Catholicism, but I certainly didn't understand a relationship with God during those years. And so we struggled on and on and on, and, and later um, my ex-wife now was diagnosed as a narcissist mm -hmm. and a hypochondriac, so those were things... I had no idea what they were or how to handle that. And uh, all of that combined led to a divorce, a pretty, pretty tough divorce, actually. And my kids suffered greatly from that. And that was very, very hard on me. And, and uh, but the, there, there's a there's an upside to all of that that we'll, I'm sure we'll get to as well. Absolutely. But I mean, by all measurements, we would say this is going to not go well for the rest of everybody's life. And yet... Right. It has turned around, but you talked to me the other day about being all alone. Your ex-wife had the kids, moved across the country. You are now left penniless, childless. You're not married. You have n nowhere to go. I mean, you hit rock bottom. Yeah, it's true. I uh, Ironically, I made a decision to put my, put my music aside, my personal dream, to try to be a good dad and to to be a, a father and a husband and and um, I was fortunate to get involved in the denim industry and 
there was a segment of that that was really interesting and creative. And I met a man who invented stonewashing of genes. And at some point I, I became considered an expert in that field, which is funny because I, I had no intention to do that. It was more of a survival thing, but I guess the timing and there was a need. And so I, I was able to provide for the family, but basically I'd put all my personal dreams aside. And then when the divorce happened, I was not only uh, left with carrying about $80,000 debt from that my mostly my ex had accumulated, but also um, trying to keep a house that was upside down after the um, economy and the housing market had kind of crashed and my kids moved away. So everything I had worked hard to become in, in the spirit of doing the right thing had now left me and I wasn't doing music anymore. Um, and I was really lost. Like, what, what, what am I? Who am I? What, what, what matters? And super broken and confused and angry, actually. And I tried to uh, th then enter uh, my brother introducing me to the Dream Center in L.A. And that's where things changed. Well, that's so interesting because as, you, as we talked, you um, mentioned he had invited you and you're like, oh, OK, I'll have to just placate to him, make him happy, I'll show up. And your son was with you. And <laughs> the Dream Center is phenomenal. I love it. But what happened? Because you decided to go and the sermon title, There's Life After Giving Up. And you said out of two or 3,000 people, it was like everything narrowed down to he's talking to me. Yeah. Absolutely true. The The same brother who recommended I go to the Dream Center was the same brother several years earlier who had uh, got, gone to bat for me to get me a job as a DJ in a strip club. So <laughs> I, <laughs> right. well, that's I, I, interesting. <laughs> it's a true story. Ironically, um, he had become a born again Christian and, and turned his life around. And, wow. and he was always a great friend and mentor. But then he started talking about Jesus all the time. And I remember thinking, bro, like, please stop talking about Jesus. Like, he sounded crazy to me at the time. Yet, yet he's the only person who showed so much love and patience and consistency with me that um, was critical. So, yeah, so he... His pastor knew Tommy Barnett, mm -hmm. whose son Matthew started the Dream Center, and they had made a couple calls, and he said, hey, they have a great music program. That was kind of the bait to get me to go, and, and yes, I was placating him, and my son was with me that weekend for one of his first visitations, and it was a bit of a, a, a crutch for me, if I'm honest, mm -hmm. um, to take him, and so we went. Um, I met in the green room first. I didn't see the sanctuary, and Matthew was this bubbly uh, kind of wacky guy. But <laughs> I love how you explain that. <laughs> <laughs> He's super nice, and um, he invited me out. He said, hey, walk with me. You can sit up front with my wife and I, and we walked into the sanctuary, and the lights were dark, and the lights, uh, the stage lights were on, and it was this huge, really cool modern thing I had never, certainly not what I expected to see at church. Hmm. And looked around, there were people, you know, black, white, yellow, green, drunk, <laughs> famous, uh, alcoholic, uh, homeless guy, everything. And so I didn't feel like anyone was looking at me. I just fit in as another guy because I have full sleeve tattoos. So I thought I would probably be judged or, or that wasn't okay. And I saw a guy across the room that had his sleeves rolled up and his arms in the air and surrendered, just praising God. And I thought, wow, what? that guy so excited about anyway that day there's life after giving up was the message it was profound and i thought wow like like this is exactly 
what I needed to hear. And, and as he kept talking and encouraging, and they also do um, testimonies. And there were people in this discipleship program that shared just overcoming years of addiction and hardships and things that I was like, okay, wow, that person, that person kind of dropped it all and started push reset. And there's people that do understand. And so at the end of that service, they did their invitation or altar call. I didn't know what that was. My son certainly didn't know what it was. And I didn't really know how he was feeling through all this. Um, but when they had everybody, you know, close their eyes and put their head down, if you want to give your life to Jesus, raise your hand. And I, I noticed he raised his hand and I was feeling the same thing. And I just started to weep. And, and it was a really profound, special moment and a turning point. And and then after the service, there was a guy that is one of my best friends to this day who was part of the team and the music director who apparently Pastor Matthew had told him I was a musician. And he said, you know what, man, I heard you're a player. I'd love to invite you back next week to share one of your songs. And this was a secular song. It wasn't a bad song, but it was called The Day After Yesterday. And I sang it in front of thousands of people. And just slowly, they were just so inclusive and, and they didn't judge me or or make me feel like I had to qualify. And I just remember God meeting me right where I was at and in a place of worship. And that that's sort of the beginning of a huge change. Well, were you clean at that time or were you still using? I was clean at that time. Um, I was more working in a, in a denim industry. I would say uh, my sadness was because what everything I had known in terms of family and security was in jeopardy. I was about to lose my home. I owed all this debt. I, I had been accused of, um, you know, not providing food for my kids and all these horrific things. And I got stuck with the bill. So I was angry. I was broke. I was confused. I was lost. I wasn't doing music. Yeah, all that. Well, it's so interesting that you say that because you had just gone through being totally betrayed and your name run through the gutter. I mean, a smear campaign and then some when it comes to divorcing someone who has some mental illness. And um, I bet you were quite afraid of even going through any door. I remember the first time I went to church after my divorce, and and it was a church I helped plant, and yet I sat in the very back row, back seat, feeling so ashamed. Yeah because of the big D word, you know, divorce, right, right. it's just not acceptable. What would have helped you adjust if there had been that, or what was available for you at the Dream Center that warmed you back into maybe this Christian thing has got some value to it? You know what it was? The, it was the first time people showed me God. They didn't preach at me. They didn't ask me to go learn a particular Bible verse, although there were always lessons and services and things that, that, you know, we're all, they were all growing, but their, te the testimonies they would do of the men and women in discipleship, the sincerity and inclusiveness of people that would recognize your personal gifts and, and allow you to share those and just recognize you and not being judged. It was, it was like knowing what I know now, it was people being the hands and feet of Jesus and, and just like serving through the pain, like, like, okay, you're hurting. That's cool. We love you, but, but let's, let's go, let's do stuff. And that was a big deal. It was amazing. Actually, I'd never, 
ever been around people like that. And I want to be around people like that every day now. And I want to be one of those people. Well, from a developmental perspective, you had no mentors. You had no what we would call mirroring or anyone to identify your strengths or who you were as an individual growing up. So you were starting basically from scratch. And these people invited you into their lives and challenged you and also affirmed you. Yeah, it's true. I, I by the way, I, I was taught and, and practiced and learned to forgive my ex-wife, but there was even verbal abuse in that situation. And she would, while, while I was supporting everyone, she would go out of her way to call me a failure in music, a failure in business. Mm. Um, so in my mind, here I was in my late thirties when all this started and I felt like, like as far as my personal dream, and now I've lost my family, maybe I am a failure. It's so easy to believe the things that we're told from people who have no idea. Yeah, and I and I didn't think of myself of what does God think of me and what, you know, he has a purpose that has nothing to do with um, a spouse or ex-spouse's opinion or even a sibling. And, and I've found now that a lot of our natural family uh, may or may not be the ones that are, are, are best for us in our development with God. Yes. Um, one of the things that you sent me was um, the title. I don't know if it's an album or a song, but The Audience of One, <laughs> which is that like Oz Guinness book. I think it's chapter three. And the title is The Audience of One, because really we do stand before Christ and not before the people in the church or before people who have opinions of us. But it's we stand before Christ and we have to get into his word to know our identity so did you start doing that? Were there people around you that helped mentor you? Uh, absolutely. There, was, there were um, people like Mark Batterson, and, and I could name, I could go on and on, Chris Hodges, just so many incredible speakers and authors and inspirational people. I learned through worship, and this is also what helps you get over nerves or anything like that to, to worship in front of even thousands, or sometimes it's harder to do it in front of five people, actually. But... Mm -hmm. Um, it's not about you. It's for it's for God, and He wants us to use our gifts to let people see what He's doing through us. And um, so there were a lot of mentors. There still are. And so that perspective of it being for and about Him, not me, also allows you to worship freely and get over yourself. Yeah. Isn't that so true? Get over yourself. It's like that's <laughs> the message of the century. Um I'm looking at the lyrics of the song that was the top 20 on iTunes Christian Gospel Charts, um, Would You Believe? And the lyrics are incredible. Would you believe if I said that you're worth dying for? Would you believe if I told you you were good enough that every shackle, every chain was broken so that you would be set free? If I told you that the brightest light made strong in your darkest hour? that you are loved no matter what you've done, that by the word of just one name, we can all live again. I mean, do you just live those words? <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a really, uh, really nice song. Uh, that There's a guy that was a big influence on me in terms of finding my own way as a, uh, sounds a little weird to say Christian artist, but um, there's a guy named John Jackson who's, uh, he tours and produces a lot of people and uh, 
incredible musician as well as songwriter and and he and i put that song together and uh yeah it's just i just love what it's about and i let the words kind of speak for themselves and it, it, it talks about jesus the man so that was another fascinating thing for me to to get past the spiritual concept and go wow there was really a guy that walked on the earth named jesus and it it changed a lot for me too to think of him as a man and what he really did that's amazing because all the men or most of the men in your life had modeled the opposite. Mm-hmm. So it was all about them or all about what I can obtain. And now you're learning about giving your life away. Yeah. One of the things that you and Danielle say, your current wife, which <laughs> is adorable. I'll just yes. say that right now. I can't brag about Danielle enough. <laughs> and I just want to say she is adorable. Everyone go to his page because it's just fantastic to see them singing together. But both of you have said maybe you feel you don't qualify as a good enough person or that you don't know the Bible well enough. Maybe you believe you've gone too far down the road of sin and wonder why God, what God would think of you. But our God is an all-qualifying, all-welcoming God who will meet us anywhere any time and in any way, no matter what we have done or failed to do, we are never abandoned or ashamed by God. There had to be shame in your past, Brad. Mm -hmm. How did you work through that? Forgiveness um, and accountability. I mean, I think uh, you you probably noticed by now I'm pretty open. So for me, it's it's um, laying all these things at the altar and just saying, look, I'm I'm really flawed, and for even forgiving myself, I basically have reflected the things that I've learned, and I had to allow God to rewire me. And um, some of that was because of hurting for my kids. I realized, like, what what have I really taught them? I've taught them how to give up, how to how to fail, how to be angry, you know. So I didn't I didn't want that legacy for my kids either. So part of my journey with God, I, I was clear on the inside that I needed to be his example for them. And the 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 glorious thing in that, and I'm not sure if I'm answering your question completely, is that I didn't want to forget to say what my change has done as far as rewriting history for my family legacy. My daughter has turned her life over to the Lord and overcome things and been able to forgive her mother. And she graduated college and she's on fire for God. And and so forgiveness is, I'd say forgiveness is a big deal initially for myself and for others. Hmm. And then you mentioned your daughter, because when we talked earlier, our daughters had similar experiences in going through a very difficult divorce and not wanting anything to do with the Lord. What would you tell parents or how would you advise or direct them as a parent turns their heart over to the Lord? It takes a while for a child to catch on or to even be interested in that. Yeah. What What would you say to parents who are listening? I'm really glad you asked that, first of all, because what I know from even from some stories from my wife, she grew up completely different from me. Um, listening to your kids is one thing without judgment because, you know, don't forget the things that you've thought about and done, but listening to them. And also they're not going to, my biggest lesson was they're not going to necessarily do what we tell them, but they're going to do what we do. Mm. So being an example and actually walking the walk is the only thing that I've 
learned that, that has, has opened the door for my kids to respect me. And then and when you see them emulating that lifestyle, uh, it's a very rewarding and, and it feels right. That is so cool because um, so many parents will say, well, let's go to church and, you know, we believe in Jesus and I trust God. But then they all through the week are trying to earn their faith or or are trying to be in a culture and respect it and have it all and whatever. That's not modeling what Christ did, which was to go and listen to people who were hurting and to be right. with them. <clears throat> so today, you and your daughter are very close. Very close. She, uh, just a quick tidbit is after my kids both moved away, um, she came for her first visit six months after she moved to Florida and <laughs> she showed up with her suitcase with what I thought was going to be a week. And she said, I'm not going back there. And I, I had, I had promised her that as part of the whole situation. I said, if you ever decide to come home, I, I love you and um, you always can. And she called me on that. And so uh, it was terrifying to think of she was a young lady going through puberty and I'm a single man going, <laughs> going, going through life <laughs> without a wife. And, and um, there are some really big surprises with that. My husband now <laughs> called me one day before we had married. We were just dating. He's like, um, I don't know what to do and I don't know what aisle to go down in the grocery store. <laughs> I said, OK, here we go. <laughs> Yeah, I, I could I could tell you a lot of funny kind of <laughs> Mr. Mom stories. Uh, but as far as finding her way, I, I when I was first infected with like uh, serving and worshiping and, and getting to know God and um, she didn't want to go to church. She many, many times she'd be like, uh, oh, do I have to get up? And it wasn't next door. It was about 35 miles away uh, for church. And consistency on my end, I would say, okay, cool. Well, I'm going. And I would just keep going and I, I wouldn't force her. Uh, but I would say, I love it. And I'd come home and tell her stories of what happened that day and get excited. And then all of a sudden she started to feel like, gosh, I'm missing out. And he's so happy. Hmm. So uh, it, it, I just would say consistency is also a, a what helped change my daughter, not, not forcing her and preaching at her. Yeah. Preaching at someone doesn't <clears throat> ever work. I mean, of I course, so. there's wisdom and advice, but the preaching part doesn't turn someone's heart. It doesn't soften a heart. And yeah. as your heart was softened, you started seeing her heart being softened. Yeah, it was a beautiful thing to experience. I felt like, oh, wow, like, wow, God's really fixing things. And, and I don't have to fix her. I just have to be an example and help show her the way. And and, you know, I, I started to realize what God could do for me as my as my father, regardless of what my um, mentors and fathers in the natural might have done right or wrong. Like he's there for all of us. And, and it started to change her life. And now she's on her own journey. And it's amazing. My son is another little tidbit of, of victory as well that came much later. But it, yeah, it all started by forgiveness and then just being an example, not a not a. Uh, not a dictator to my kids. Yeah. Now, you did remarry. So tell me a little bit about that. Were you terrified or were you skeptical? Where were you in that process? Well, well, first of all, I think I feel like we're all designed to be with God's match for us. And, and um, I don't like being single. I, I didn't like dating. I, I It was awkward, especially being a single dad. And, mm. um, you know, it, of course, now everybody's 
updates online and and things like that. So the cool thing was I was just burning to serve. I was lonely, but I but I I didn't I never once uh, introduced my daughter to someone I was either set up on a date with or met somehow. Uh, and then one day when I was promoting Audience of One, that album you referred to, I met a gentleman who was planting a church in Long Beach. And he said, hey, I don't have a lot of money. He had come to a worship event I did at Angelus Temple. He said, I'd be so honored if you would come and we're having a night of prayer and about two hours of music. And I'd love for you to lead that. He said, and I don't have a lot of money for musicians, but I do have some volunteers and my daughter would like to be one of the backup singers. And I said, oh, that's great. I have a daughter too. I'll bring her. And I, <laughs> I thought he would uh, introduce me to his little girl. <laughs> <laughs> however, so you thought. <laughs> <laughs> however, the very last person to show up that night was this beautiful blonde with big bright eyes. And she said, hi, I'm Danielle. And I was like, whoa. Well, you are not 13. <laughs> <laughs> right. And um, it, funny, from that first night, um, there were people, there was a guy that came up to us that, that first night we met and said, you know, let me take your picture. I feel like I'm taking your future wedding picture. And it was super awkward, but I was like, yes. Um, <laughs> Let's hope and, that comes true. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, fast forwarding through that, um, we went to dinner a week later. She went to Angela's Temple with me the Sunday after that. And we got married a year, almost to the day after that. Wow. What, what did she bring into your life that you had never experienced before? Well, God's so cool to... She has a, absolutely an opposite upbringing as I had. Um, she She's a pastor's kid. Um, so she grew up, her dad was preaching every week and, and uh, a lot more of a strict. Uh, she, she saw an example of love from her parents, which to this day is a really awesome thing and which is part of why she's an incredible wife. But her perspective uh, was so, so different from mine. And it's a great part of our story when we go places. And I think we learn from each other to share like, oh, you know, this is what happened to me when I was this age and and my parents were this and that. But yeah, she knew so much more about about what God said and mm. and her parents were a great example. So she she lived a much more conservative younger life. Mm. You know, I but I'd say she So you introduced her to the world. <laughs> well no, I mean I mean she had her own like uh, secrets kidding. and things. Like she she did her own like uh, private eye rebellion. But, there you go. But it's just she has her own testimony about what she calls um dating potential. So mm. she she would date she's beautiful, so a lot of guys pursued her and and they would say because of how her her desire for Christ that they would go to church with her or whatever. So she has a lot of really interesting stories about dating potential for, for guys who might be super good looking and say they'll go to church with you, but they're really just trying to get in bed. Yep, exactly. And she was able to, she had enough wisdom and direction from growing up to know who am I going to trust and who am I not going to trust? So it, was, it sounds like it was a wonderful blend when y'all came together. I mean, for me, it was, I, I never imagined I could have a partner. I never knew what a God-centered relationship was like. I feel like um, if anybody listening, if you can if you can find that. And here's another thing. I My brother had kind of coached me to pray for my future wife because now I, I realize that whoever's single, your, your spouse is probably out there looking for you and praying for you. But... In my mind, when I realized there's a real person praying for me, looking for me, it gave me a lot more hope. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I, I prayed specifically, like, God, when it's the right time, show me this person. And sounds corny to say I knew, but, and I never believed that when people said, oh, I met my whatever, and I knew, but I kind of knew. Uh, I, I felt immediately special, something about her. When I proposed to her, she was so not prepared for that question, but I felt really clear about it, and I already knew her parents, and so, yeah, you, you're, your spouse is looking for you, too. And to be praying for them. I mean, when um, my husband and I met for the first time, he said pretty much right off the bat he knew, and I didn't because I had so much fear from the previous relationship <laughs> that I was in. And so just to know that I was being prayed for and my healing was a process and it involved him right. was a wonderful part of the harmony that came together when we did marry. Yeah. I mean, Danielle had fears as well of either A, picking the wrong guy, or maybe I'm a fraud or things like that. But so she had fears as well. And at one point, even during that year, she broke it off with me because uh, funny story, she I took her and dropped off um, soup and NyQuil and things like that on her step one day while she was at work because she was sick. And that was way too over the line for someone to to do that. <laughs> so, so she said, I can't do this. And uh, what did you put in that cough medicine? <laughs> <laughs> no, she was just had this, I guess guys would try to call her their girlfriend really mm. quickly. And she she had her own walls up about that. And, um, and so I actually learned a lot in that process. So so being a single dad to my daughter, I learned so much about the she helped me understand how women think a lot more from her Is own. Is that possible? <laughs> yeah, right? It was amazing. And and then thinking of Danielle as a as a sister in Christ and wanting God's best for her, even if it's not me, that was a huge like challenge for me to go, okay, well, I don't really understand what's not working for you, but I want the best for you and actually trying to walk in that space and Kind of when I let it go, things turned around and, and we reconnected and here we are almost five years married. Wow, that's amazing. In the time that I was preparing, I opened to the book of Joel, which I rarely, if ever, do because it's an Old Testament prophet. And the Lord allowed a catastrophe to occur in order to soften the hearts and Joel's words are repent and turn back towards the Lord. In fact, in the Bible it, that I was reading, it says, I want to suggest, this is from the Insight for Living Bible, I want to suggest an interesting side note to think about. There's something very unique about calamity when it strikes a person or a nation. So often it has a way of softening people and making them more teachable. It can bring about a time of intense soul searching. Could God be in this? Hmm. When the citizens of the nation underwent their calamity of catastrophe, Often the nation is then humbled and has the choice to return and repent. For you, it sounds like you had the opportunity at the Dream Center and then as you're raising kids as a single dad to turn and just discover so much of who you were that would have never been discovered had you not gone through that in the past. Yeah, I, I, that's a great scripture and story you just told because I look back at the disasters in my life now and I, I really think God was trying to get my attention and they led to the very best things in my life. And um, it was, I'll say, the very best things after I sought him 
and mm. and said, okay, I, I I can't do this, and and I'm still here. What do you what do you want from me? Are you real? And all the worst things led to the best things because I I was able to seek God first, and I think that's an important part of it. But for as far as our our marriage goes, I mean, you mentioned something earlier about giving and serving, and and I I think we try to live more of a palms down life of what can we give rather than what can we get, and all of my young life pursuing music in a selfish or, you know, fleshly pursuit of getting the cutest girl or the most money or the most fame or attention to how can I use my story to help others in our, I've had more what the world would call success in music uh, since we started to just try to give, give, give. And, and I've met so many pastors passing through the Dream Center and made friendships with them. And now we travel all over the country and even we're going to Canada in a couple of weeks and we just uh, offer our story and our music ministry and, and I don't know, God's blessing our music in a way now that it's directed towards him and with the heart of giving in ways that I never imagined. That's so incredible. In fact, let's talk about being the founder of Rock the Denim, um, the jeans project, a cause-driven <laughs> premium jeans brand that supplements church ministries across the country. It is so amazing. So tell me how that came to fruition. Sure. Rock the Denim was a brand I started before I had been saved. It was just the idea was a, a platform of, I guess, all through my jeans days, even when I wasn't doing music, I wanted to stay connected to it. So we had this vision of distributing jeans through a big retailer like Buckle or Macy's and creating an online platform that would allow creatives and music to reach other people. So the jeans would have a download card and people would go to the website and by genre, they could find all these new artists and all the artists had to do is provide a song and a link to their website. So it was a pretty neat idea. And we had a big opportunity with Macy's to go put it into 200 stores. And um, I had to decline that because it was right when my divorce was approaching mm, its ugliest. Yep. And I knew I'd be fighting about that. So, so I had to lay that down. And then later in my friendship with Matthew Barnett at the Dream Center, and just, we had a conversation once and I said, you know, what, what do you think like we could do with this? Because my, our core business is to develop and supply denim to over a hundred brands, but I, I know everything about the manufacturing and washing process. So how can we use that? And we came up with this idea to, make some jeans in in America and provide short-term job opportunities for folks coming out of the Dream Center um, because they don't typically have uh, any money or a good resume reference um, to take home wherever they're from. And uh, then we would do pop-up shops at churches. We would go around the country and do a worship concert or a worship service with the church and then have a pop-up shop to sell cool jeans because everybody loves jeans and we would give a portion of the proceeds either back to the Dream Center and or the hosting church. And I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can. There you uh, go. We'll bring the Jeans Project to Texas. <laughs> Actually, we have done some stuff with Celebration Church in Austin area, Georgetown. Yes, um, very cool. I'm really close with them as well. But so the heart behind it was looking good and doing good was our slogan and we're rethinking the next evolution of the Jeans Project. It's our business is a bit of a ministry. When we 
when we did our last collection of music, we had a concert at Angelus Temple, free one, and we invited over a thousand fashion designers, and most of them really aren't walking with the Lord. And we said, hey, you know, we're going to be singing about Jesus. I hope that's okay. <laughs> and, and, they all, and they all came, and we, we, we told our story, and a thousand people left with our walk with God in their minds, and, and we've had so many people contact us privately since then saying, hey, man, I really... I really want to know more and tell me, you know, how can you be so, so they'll say, how can you be so cool and still be a Christian or yeah. something? I thought I, you had to be religious and yeah, it's been great. That is so amazing. In fact, I was looking through Henry Cloud's book, Necessary Endings, and he's talking about the anatomy of hope. And there's a book that was written called The Anatomy of Hope. But in more recent days, because we have, you know, more neurological and brain studies, they talk about the brain plasticity and how to develop new behaviors when you've not been exposed to that. And several things are provide a very good structure and provide skills and experience. So what you're saying is you're giving skills or the opportunity to learn skills to individuals who are being transformed by Christ and they have hope, but they just need some direction. Yeah, sometimes people just need a, a, a chance or someone to to recognize them or give them an opportunity. And I was one of those. I've been that person a few times. And I wouldn't say that the Jeans Project right now, we, we had some partners from Japan that wanted to supply the fabric and, and be a part of it, but it ended up making the jeans quite expensive. So we didn't move enough jeans to actually impact enough people. So we're in the process of kind of rethinking how to make it um, more cost effective and, and have a bigger impact. But yeah, you're exactly right. People need a, a, a second chance. You might be rewired from from God, but we also have to help each other. Absolutely, we have to help each other because I know on more than a few occasions, I've needed that kind of direction, that kind of support. Um, it's interesting that you say you're in the in-between time because I was just reading on um, a winter season and what happens with plants when they go through winter and it looks like there's nothing on top like what we see is you know limbs that are bare and no flowers or whatever but the purpose of that is so the the roots of the plant can dive so much deeper into the soil <laughs> so then when spring does come there's incredible beauty and sustainability so even in the midst of this in between god is digging your roots deeper for a process that he has in mind Wow, that's an incredible encouragement. And I would, I would say to anybody going through that season of reorganizing or regrouping that it doesn't happen on, you know, our time schedule. So not to be discouraged. Well, I was going to ask you as we close, Brad, to speak into the lives of those who are where you were. What did you need to hear when you, when the divorce was final, you were by yourself, you had lost everything, and you saw no hope. Can you just be a bright star and speak into someone's life so they will see a light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, I mean, if I had to think about how I felt, a lot of us, I think, put on a front, and we assume people think a certain thing, or we care so much about what our image is to other folks. But I think if you just lay that all down, and, and it's a lot easier to do when you're broken because your pride's already, you know, wounded. And um, just 
remember that there's other people that have been there and understand and are going through it. And, and as much as I didn't want to do it, going to finding a church that was a real relational church, finding, finding Jesus, not just finding religion and um, hearing testimonies. If you can't get out, you know, there's, there's online, you can watch so many great speakers online and cause that made a huge difference in my life. And there's one scripture that um, I'll share that really, really like, spoke to me in, in simple terms. And it's, um, it's not a typical one. It's Luke 962. And it says anyone with their hand to the plow who looks back isn't fit for the kingdom of God. Now, it might sound a little not inclusive. But the way I see it is it means moving forward. Mm-hmm. And our, our eyes are in the front of our head, you can let the past go and uh, just move forward with God. Interesting. There are three specific principles from the book of Joel that I found. And it says, one, it's never too late to turn your life around. So for anybody listening, wherever you are, turn your life around. It's never too late to do that. The second is true repentance is an internal transformation, not a superficial change, which you just mentioned, Brad, about, you know, we we think we know what others are thinking about us or we want them to like us you know what? Transformation is about a change in your soul, and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. And the third is restoration is possible only by the gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ. And that's your story. (laughs) I'm I'm so happy to be here to share it. Thank you. You're you're wonderful just to spend like uh, some quality time with people to because this is what it takes. It's it's this kind of thing that changed my life. So if, if a few bits of our conversation can help someone else, I've, I'm super blessed to hear that. Well, absolutely. So how can people find you? I know Brad Alden is your site, but other places because you're rocking it in the in the music world right now. So I want people <laughs> to be able to find you. Well, at the Brad Alden, it seems like Instagram is a very popular place to hang out these days. At the Brad Alden's our Instagram handle, bradalden.com is a website with some information. We're on Facebook, Apple, iTunes, Amazon, all those places. There's a video for our song, Lord of All, that's really special. It's There's... fabulous, by the way. Please look it up, everybody. I watched it more than once. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Lord of All is a great song about God meeting you right where you're at. So I hope you're audience will check that song out. We even made it available on multi-tracks for church services and 12 different key signatures. So people are singing it at church is really cool. And uh, we just hope uh, we can be a little bit of a blessing and participate in what God's doing. Well, Brad, thank you for your time today and just giving hope to people who have either lost their way or feel like there's nothing left in their life to live for. I mean, you have talked to every person who will face something difficult, impossible, without God stepping in, and you invited him into your life. And by doing so, he's transforming lives around the world. Yeah, it's, it's simple if you just let it happen. I mean, I feel like men, especially, we put up our guard and we just can't let go of our ways. But give it a shot. I would encourage you to give it a shot, especially if you're at the end of your rope and, and hopeless and uh, reach out to somebody. There's there's people that care. Absolutely. And you can reach out to Reframing Ministries through our website, um, reframingministries.com, and the 
email address is reframingministries@insight.org. So if you've heard this and it's meant something to you today, please reach out to Brad. Look them up. Look up uh, Reframing Ministries because there is hope. God has a purpose for where you are today and what he has planned for you in the days ahead. Brad, thank you so very much for your time. I so appreciate it. You're just a gem. Thank you, Colleen. It's an honor, and I'm really glad to be friends now. All right. Sounds great. Thanks so much. Take care. Hey, you guys, wasn't that an unbelievable podcast with Brad Alden? Whatever you are struggling with, addictions, abuse, or a past that you do not feel like you can get beyond, I hope that this podcast was encouraging to you. Just as Brad talked about connecting through his Instagram account, Reframing Ministries also has Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and various platforms that you can connect with us on. I would love to hear from you. Thank you again for joining us today at Reframing Ministries. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know in the comments on our website. Our desire is to provide biblical help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through unique and challenging segments in life. And in order to provide for more people, We'd love your support through prayer, sharing this content with friends, and partnered support. Reframing Ministries and Insight for Living Ministries operate entirely and only on your generous gifts and donations. You can partner with us and donate to Reframing Ministries through our website. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.